guys. Thank you. Boy, it was a great message. Amen. Amen. Open up to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Would you please? Deuteronomy chapter 4. I've tried once a month now to bring a message on why it is we use the King James Bible. Um, a lot of people don't understand and think that it's archaic and that it's uh, been surpassed by other more modern Bible versions. And we don't believe that's the case. And we don't believe that because of solid reasons. And so for about a m every month now, since January, I've, I've tried to bring a message uh, to do with the Bible, to strengthen our faith in the Word of God. And... Uh, as your Bible is open at Deuteronomy 4, look at these uh, amazing words where Moses wrote, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that ye may live. Notice that, underline that, ye may live, and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. And then we have this warning. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Now that's a very important commandment in the Bible about itself. What is God teaching us? God is teaching us that when he wrote the Bible, we're not to mess with it. We're not to take from it. We're not to add to it. We're not to change it. He goes on and he says in verse 3, Ye have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. He's recalling to them something in their history that they were well familiar with. And it was a sad time in Israel's history when uh, this, this happened and many, many died. But then he goes on and says, But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive. Notice that, alive. Go back to verse 1, that ye may live. You see how they're tied together. That's why Moses is using it as an illustration. Ye are alive, every one of you, this day. Basically, what Moses was saying is, here's God's commandment. If you want to live, keep his commandments. You know, keep his word. Don't take from it. Don't add to it. Don't change it. It's fine just the way it is. Now, the Lord Jesus, when he was on earth, he reiterated a very well-known verse in the Old Testament, man shall not live by, by bread alone, but by every word, right, of God, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Very important. Notice he said, every word. That means that the words are important. Every word in your Bible is important. It's there for a reason. God put it there. He's the master architect. He knew what he was doing. There's no author that can compare to God. God wrote a perfect Bible. Many question whether God can keep the, the Bible perfect. Many believe that the Bible is pretty good, but there's a margin of error in there. And that you just can't know for sure sometimes what exactly is from God and what little errors crept in by man over the centuries. And that's, a, that's you know, that, that's, to me, that's a, a tough way to live. Imagine a man who had no confidence in his wife. Well, she's a pretty good wife, pretty faithful, but you know, goes out that door, I'm just not sure who she sees. I just, just can't be 100% sure. Oh, I'm about 90% sure of her faithfulness, her purity, but there's that 10%. I'm just, what a way to live. That's no way to live in a marriage, is it? 
And here you've got a book from God. The book itself claims to be written by God. The book itself claims to be kept, preserved by God. And yet there are believers, honest to goodness Christian people that love the Lord. And they say, well, I, you know, 90% I'm, I'm really sure about, but it's, oh, it's just that 10%, I just, I just don't know. Well, that's why we have a Bible, folks. I believe that God has given us uh, the best English Bible in existence. It's the King James Bible. So I'd like to talk with you today why the King James Bible is the best English Bible in existence. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we approach a subject by faith and yet with trembling. To come near your word is to come near you. Lord, we thank you so much for the Christians that read your Bible faithfully. We ask you, please, Lord, your mercy and grace to encourage Christians here, maybe who are not as faithful as they should be or they want to be, to help them to be strong in the Word of God. Help us to realize that the only way we can fully appreciate the book of God is by faith. For the just shall live by faith. Lord, help us increase our faith today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know something? I, uh, I went to Bible college and I learned a lot. But in my Bible college that I went to, they taught me there were errors in the Bible. And so I believed it because that's what they taught me. And they had their reasons for it. And they said, well, look at this, look at that. And I said, ooh, they must be right. But you know something, from the day uh, before I was saved, back in 1974, when I first started reading the Bible, the only Bible in the house was the King James Bible. That's what I started reading. Didn't understand a bit of it, but it felt good. So I kept doing it. Ultimately, I came upon the word tithe, which got me into a church, and that's how I got saved. I believe in tithing. So I went off to Bible college, and I still use the King James Bible, but I graduated thinking, well, I guess the best three Bibles out there for you, the King James, the New American Standard, and the New International Version. Of course, the only one I ever used was the King James. Some of my buddies that graduated with me they, uh, they'd come up for a visit or get me on the phone. How you doing? I'm fine. Then they'd ask me, well, what do you think about the King James Bible? What's your position on it? And I, I didn't have a position, but I was too scared to, to tell them that. So I would, I would say, well, that's a good question. Oh, look at the time. Listen, I'd love to talk, but I got to go. And I would get out of there. Well, after two or three years of playing games, I decided this is insanity. I got to get an answer. And I started begging God, show me what the truth is. And so I went into deep study, deep, deep study. And I came out the other side believing in the King James Bible and thanking God for it. You say, Pastor, did you understand everything in the King James Bible back then? Listen, I'll answer that this way. I still don't understand everything in the King James Bible today. And I've been studying it now for over 43 years. There, the book of God is deep. Uh, there are parts of the ocean, the oceans of the world, there are parts where man has never yet been. Same with outer space. Lots of places in outer space man has never been. No telescope has ever pierced those skies. But yet I believe in them, and they're just as real. You know, for about the first 1,850 years after Jesus rose again and went back to heaven, uh, People had no trouble with what the Bible was. 
They had no problems whatsoever with what the Bible was. And then in around, oh, 1850, something like that, uh, some, one guy found uh, an old copy of a Greek manuscript uh, in a um, monastery, and he thought, man, this is, this is better than what we've got. And so they came up with names for them. Uh, they called it uh, Sinaiticus and uh, Vaticanus. Uh, it resides in the Vatican, by the way, that one. And they, they found these two or three real, what looked like ancient, well-preserved manuscripts. And they said, these are older than anything else we currently possess. Understand that when the Word of God was written down originally, it was used. And like anything that gets used, it eventually falls apart. How many have ever had to replace their car because their previous car just fell apart on them? Anybody? Three people. Okay. How many drive here, by the way? Five people. Okay. <laughs> well, you get the idea. A suit of clothes. Okay. I have a shirt. It's a favorite shirt of mine. And it was given to me. I really like it. Uh, but I wore the elbows out of it. Both of them. I think because it has something to do with how I sit at the desk, maybe. Or the meal table, how about that? Anyhow, I wore the elbows out. And I was wearing it here yesterday, forgot that I'd worn the elbows out of it. And uh, someone noticed it and asked me about it, and I was embarrassed. So I spoke to my wife, and so she came to the rescue with her sewing machine, and she's given new life to my old shirt, so I can still wear it a little while longer. Anyhow, one day I won't be able to wear it because of the cuffs and the collar. It's just going to fall off me. It'll have to be replaced. That's what happened to those original parchments, those original, you know, sheepskins on which the scripture was originally written. They used them and used them, and they finally crumbled. Nothing lasts forever in this world. And so copies were made. And uh, anyhow, that's where the fun begins. Because there are believers, Christians, and whole churches that believe that the Word of God, when it was originally written on the lambskin or the parchment, was perfect. So the way they put it in their doctrinal statements is that they believe that the, the original, uh, the, the Bible was, is perfect uh, as it was originally given. That, those are the words or something like them. That's how they get around this thing. Because many of them today claim that the Bible has problems, little errors in it and problems like that. And uh, this is a very interesting subject. Now, I am not at all criticizing people who use other Bibles. There are some wonderful Christians that use NIV, that use New American Standard. Personally, I think they're doing themselves harm because they don't have the pure Word of God. It really gets down to how pure do you want your Bible? The food you eat. You know, there are some people that in the world where if they're eating something and it falls on the ground, you know, and it gets covered with dust, they'll just do that and they'll keep eating. They don't care if they eat some dust or parasites or maggots along with it. They, you know, so what? They won't, it won't kill them. It, <laughs> it's like a friend of mine many years ago, he was eating something and it was clean food, but it was to me disgusting food. And I asked him, how do you eat that? And his answer was, it goes down. But there are people around the world that eat, you know, different, different ways. Now, again, I'm not criticizing the people that use modern Bibles. You know, you can do whatever you like. 
right? It's up to you. You can do whatever you want. But I think the key is how close, how accurate, how pure do you want to know what God said, right? Me, I want to know exactly what God said. That's why I've chosen the King James Bible. Now, um, I'm going to give you some history here. We ready with that little PowerPoint? Whew, we are. There we are. Okay, little history lesson for you. Some of you already know this. Uh, we've got Asia Minor. This is where the Apostle Paul went all through and uh, preached one souls to Christ, started churches, right? Then he'd come back down to Antioch, down to Jerusalem. Then you have North Africa here, particularly Alexandria. Uh, Alexandria was known as the hotbed of liberalism. Every cult and ism could be found right there. A lot of them were invented there. And so the uh, Apostle Paul, when he wrote um, 13 of the New Testament books, he did it all up here. And of course, the others, the other authors also wrote, and they were up here. Um, down here, they never went. So the Greek books, we call them books, like the book of uh, uh, Ephesians, the, the book of uh, Galatians, all that came out of Asia Minor up here. The modern Bibles have copies that are different. You see, there's a bunch of copies of the books that Paul wrote from up here, and they're all the same. Then you get these Greek copies from down here, and they're different for some reason. But because these ones were used and used and used, they're gone, and their copies are still around. Today, we have full and fragmented copies in the neighborhood of 10,000, 10,000 copies of the 27 New Testament books. 10,000 copies. That's the complete, complete books and fragments. There's about 10,000. They're in museums and private collections all around the world. There is a website where you can go to. It'll show you where every single one of them is. Now down here, as I say, uh, there was discovered one, then two, and I believe three of these manuscripts that seemed older than the ones up here because the ones up here were copies of copies of copies, and these ones here were never used. Made one copy, never used. Anything that you buy and set to one side, it's gonna look better than something you buy and use every day, especially books. And so this gives you a little bit of an idea. Now, um, there we go. The uh, Old Testament is not really so much uh, argued over because the, uh, the Jews kept it uh, very, very uh, careful. Uh, the Masoretes, which was a, a section of the Jews, they gave their lives to copying the scriptures. And so the Old Testament in Hebrew is called the Masoretic text. It comes from the Masoretes. Now you get into the New Testament in Greek, and this is where the battle begins because... Uh, our King James Bible came from the Greek texts from Asia Minor. And the modern Bibles come from these Greek texts here from Alexandria, North Africa. And so what I'd like to do um, in just a moment is I want to show you the, uh, the differences. And I brought along some examples. Um, what I'm holding here is a... Uh, copy of the um, Greek New Testament. 
that was put together back in the 1500s by a guy named Erasmus. And um, he, that wasn't money, forget it. Something, whatever it is. Uh, He put together, he examined all of the thousands of copies available to him, and he put together what's called the Textus Receptus. That's Latin for the received text. It's the one that was used for the King James Bible. Uh, This one here, this particular one, actually I got in Bible college, and it was given to me, it was given to me in 1979. And uh, what it is, it's based upon the work of two famous men who I will tell you about in a minute. And uh, the men who put this together, they keep revising it. So every year, every two years, they come up with new revisions. This particular one here is a third edition. I think they're up to about 27 editions now and uh, changes. Yeah, this one goes back to 66, 68, and 75. Now they've since updated this and they've made a whole bunch of changes to the Greek text, which means changes to the English translation. This one here hasn't changed. This is the same, from the same texts from, for thousands of years. This one seems to change every year. And it's upon this one that the modern Bibles are, are made. Now here are the two guys that are very famous for having put together the uh, basis of that red book there. And their names are Westcott and Hort. And you can see when they lived and when they died. And uh, these guys, uh, there's a lot of stories about them. I don't know how much is true. I don't know how much is false. But what I do know is that they took those um, Alexandrian manuscripts and the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus and so on, and they put them together and they formed a basis from which this one here was made. And these guys here, they, um, they apparently were involved in a fair bit of, of uh, humanistic th- uh, theories and thought. Gnosticism, um, Jesus is not divine. Uh, Darwinianism and so on helped these guys to produce this tree. Now, these letters are the names of many modern Bible Bibles. Like over here, we've got the Revised Standard Version. That was uh, from the 40s, and that was the key book of the liberals. The liberals deny the miraculous in the Bible, and they were using that, using that to prove that Jesus is not divine. Uh, there's a New International. All these come from these corrupted texts. Now this one over here, NWT, which if you're Canadian, you might think it's Northwest Territories, but not this time. NWT, does anyone know what NWT stands for? Nah, New World Translation. Yeah, you're up on this. That's the Jehovah Witness Bible. It comes from the very same corrupt texts. Isn't that interesting? That's good to know, isn't it? Now that means this. From this, we got the King James Bible. From this, we have every other modern Bible. How many modern Bibles? One, the King James Bible. How many other modern Bibles? Oh, listen, there are hundreds and hundreds of uh, modern uh, Bibles in English. Now, I've got a, a small little smattering there for you. Uh, here's, here's the Revised Standard Version of 1946. 
So I've got that one. Can uh, one of you guys, maybe Tushan, can you help me here? I just want you to set these over there on the chair, would you please? Maybe that far chair, so you can stack them there. Okay, what's next? Oh, the Amplified. Amplified Bible. Here's the Amplified Bible here. What they like to do is they like to give you commentary running throughout the verse so that you're never quite sure what is actual Bible and what is actual man's commentary. Uh, next one is the good news. There it is, the good news for modern man. That, to me, is not so good. In that Bible, um, every place where they, they say blood, like the blood of Christ, they take it out and they say death. So every instance of blood, it's a bloodless Bible. They took it out. Now, how about that for good news? It's by the blood of Christ that we're saved, folks. They decided that blood is too much a butcher shop religion and it's not palatable. And so we want our Bible to be palatable with people. And so they took the blood out. They'll answer to God for that one, I'm sure. Next is the New American Standard. There she is right there. And after that, oh, there's the New International. Here's my copy of the New International right here. Put that there. And... Uh, Oh, we got a New King James. New King James. Interesting sign on the front, isn't it? Yeah, look that one up. New King James. We'll talk about that. And then this one here. This goes by several different names. This one here. The Everyday Study Bible. And it's uh, known as the New Century Version as well. So this is a very uh, popular one amongst people. Okay, thanks, Tushan. I guess that's all I need. Thank you very much. So, what we're going to do is have a little game. We're going to play a little game here, and uh, you'll have fun with this, I'm sure. We're going to do some comparisons. We're going to compare the versions with the King James Bible, when it, in this case, when it comes to the virgin birth of Jesus. Now, this one we'll do all together, but after this, you're going to need your Bible. We're going to look up verses. But you see in Luke 2, 33, Look what it says. This is the King James Bible. It says, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Okay, that's what the King James Bible says. The Revised Standard Version says, And his father and his mother marveled. Now, right off, does anyone see a problem with that? Okay, how about this one? The Amplified. And his legal father and his mother were marveling. Or the Good News the child's father and mother were amazed. The New American Standard and his father and mother were amazed. The New International, the child's father and mother marveled. And this uh, ESV, Everyday Study Version, Jesus' father and mother were amazed. What is basically wrong with those? Where's the virgin birth? You see... He was accused of being the illegitimate son of Mary and a Roman centurion, or maybe Mary and Joseph. Or, uh, but he, he was not believed to be God. He was believed to be a human. And the modern versions are backing him up on that. How can you do that? How can you claim that you love God when you don't believe when your own Bible tells you that he's not really virgin born. Look again what the King James says, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. You know that the name Joseph is actually in the Greek text? 
It's actually in the Greek text. And look what the, the other ones do. It, now, anyhow, we've got a little bit of ground to cover, and I'm going to need your help here. And so let's, uh, let's all go to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9. We're going to see here if Jesus is the creator or not. Ephesians chapter 3 and uh, verse number 9. You have it there? Let's read it out together, out loud. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Now, that's a long verse. We don't have enough space up here, so I've only taken a section, a selection of words out of each of the, the versions, but I think you'll, you'll get the idea. So the RSV says, God who created all things, period. Where it says here, God who created all things, what are the next three words? By Jesus Christ. You see something's missing here, right? No mention of Jesus as being a creator. How about the Amplified? What does it say? By Christ Jesus. But you notice what they did with it at the end? They put it in italics. Now for the, the Amplified Bible, what that means is it wasn't in the original. But they stuck it in there anyhow. At least they stuck it in, okay? So I'll at least give them credit for that. All right, the good news God, who is the creator of all things, kept his secret hidden through all the past ages. Where's Jesus? New American Standard. God, who created all things. No mention of Jesus. New International. Hidden in God, who created all things. No mention of Jesus. Everyday study. And God, he's the one who created everything. No mention of Jesus. You see how the new versions snip and cut Jesus out of the picture. So according to these modern Bibles, if you read that verse, you wouldn't know that Jesus is the creator, but you would in the King James Bible. You see? All right, let's go to Matthew 18. And let's see whether or not Jesus is to be, should be worshipped. How about that? Matthew 18, verse 26. Matthew 18 and 26. All right, let's read that out loud together. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. All right? Now this is uh, a parable, and it's in to do with forgiving of sins, and of course it's talking about Jesus. So, RSV. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him. No mention of worship. The Amplified. So the attendant fell on his knees, begging him. The good news, the servant fell on his knees before the king. New American. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself. You see, even these modern Bibles say different things, don't they? Can you see a difference in using this word? Now, this is not prostate. This is prostrate. See that little R right there? Okay, that's where you fall headlong out like that. That's what that word means. What's the difference between that and just falling on your knees? You see a difference between the knees and full prostrate? I sure do. Okay, who's next? 
New King James, the servant therefore fell down before him. No mention of worship. The New International, uh, at, the, uh, ser- at this the servant fell on his knees before him. The everyday, but the servant fell on his knees and begged. So you see there's no mention of worship. Remember, this is a parable, but it's speaking of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. Okay, let's move on. How about salvation? Is there supposed to be repentance in salvation? Let's go back a few pages to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. Matthew 9:13 let's read it out together class but go ye and learn what that meaneth i will have mercy and not sacrifice for i am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance rsv for i came not to call the righteous but sinners period good news i have not come to call respectable people but outcasts again The modern Bibles can't even agree. They're saying different things. New American, but I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. New International, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Every day, I did not come to invite good people, but to invite sinners. None of them make any mention of repentance. Is repentance important? I should say it is. Look what Jesus said. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to what? repentance sinners to repentance let's take a look here at acts about baptism is baptism a part of salvation we're going to go to acts chapter 8 and here we have the story of uh, philip and the ethiopian eunuch and so you're familiar with the story i'm sure the ethiopian eunuch was not saved but he was trying to reach out to god he was at jerusalem worshiping god and on his way back home he's in a chariot he's reading from the book of isaiah the spirit of god brings philip the evangelist near and says go talk to him and so the evangelist went and said excuse me sir do you understand what you're reading and the ethiopian eunuch said how can i accept some man show me and he invited philip up here you know come and show me teach me what this is talking about and so philip got in the chariot with him and right at that place started showing him that this is talking about jesus So now we come to verse 36 and verse 37, and I'd like you to read them both out loud with me. Here we go. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now there you've got what the King James Bible teaches how that uh, uh, baptism is not part of salvation. Let's see what the RSV says. What? What? Do my eyes deceive me? You open your RSV to verse 37 and there is no verse 37? You got it. That verse does not exist in the Revised Standard Version. Amplified. It's included but with a footnote that says early manuscripts do not contain this verse. The good news, it's gone. How about that for good news? The verse is missing. The New American Standard, same thing, included with a footnote that says the early manuscripts do not include this verse. New International Version, gone, disappeared. Everyday Study, gone, disappeared. So if you have one of those Bibles 
and you're reading through the scripture, you're going to miss an entire verse of, of God's holy word. Now, what did we read at the beginning of the message in Deuteronomy 4, verse 2? We're not to take from it. We're not to add to it. What's going on here? You see, that's why it's important that we understand that God has already answered this for us and he's given us a Bible. It's God's responsibility to do such a thing and he's done it, folks. The new modern versions we've got, they don't even agree with each other. And yet they're so very popular. Let's move on here. We've got a few more to look at. Modern versions, are they complete or are things missing? Well, you already sort of know the answer to that one now, don't you? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 11. Matthew 18 verse 11. We're going to find out if there's anything missing. Okie dokie. Uh, verse 11, read it out loud together with me, please. Matthew 18, 11. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Now, it doesn't get much plainer than that, right? And don't you love a verse like that? Isn't it nice that Jesus said, this is why I came. I came to save lost people. All right, now, if we had a revised standard version, we find there is no verse 11. They took that one out. The Amplified included but with another crazy footnote at the bottom that says the ancient manuscripts don't have it. The good news, the verse is missing. New American copies the Amplified. It's there but with a note that says basically we don't believe it. The New International, verse is missing. The ESV included but with a footnote saying that the earliest manuscripts don't have it. Isn't that amazing? Imagine if you were at a Bible study with a bunch of Christians and everyone brought a different Bible. All right, let's read together Matthew 18, verse 11, shall we? Can you imagine what pandemonium would break out? Hey, what, 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 where, hey, I don't have, do you have it? <laughs> Who has it? And what often happens is, oh, well, let's go on to the next verse, shall we? There's an important little piece of the Word of God that tells us why Jesus came. I'm telling you, things are missing. Things are missing. Um, go to Luke chapter 4. Now, we're still wondering if there are things missing there in the modern Bibles. Luke chapter 4 and verse number 8. Now, this is familiar, right? You all know this one. Let's read it out loud. Luke 4, 8, all together. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. How many remember reading this verse, or have you heard it read, or someone? Yes? Okay. When Jesus was up on the mount of temptation there, and the devil came to him, and tempted him with these three temptations. And this one here in verse 7, the devil says, If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. So the devil's asking Jesus to worship him. And so Jesus answers him, Get thee behind me, Satan. You see that? Okay, let's open our Bibles in, uh, uh, I was going to say the reversed standard versions, the, re the revised standard version. And Jesus answered him, It is written. Hmm, wait a minute. Just a second. Is that the same? What's missing? 
Get thee behind me, Satan. What happened? Revised Standard Version revised it right out of there. He amplified. And Jesus replied to him, It is written. Oh, what's missing? Say it. Get thee behind me, Satan. The good news, Jesus answered. The scripture says, what's missing? Say it. Get thee behind me, Satan. New American Standard. Jesus answered him. It is written. What's missing? Get thee behind me, Satan. New International Version. Jesus answered. It is written. What's missing? Get thee behind me, Satan. Everyday Study Bible. Jesus answered. It is written. What's missing? It's not all there, is it? These new modern Bibles, there are things missing. And how about Romans 13.9? Romans 13.9. Now this one you have to pay attention because this one is a little tricky. And if you just glance it over, you just might miss it. But it's something very important. Now I'm going to read it and you follow along and you read it. I'll read it out loud. You just follow along as I read verse 9, Romans 13, 9. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Okay, are you ready for the test? Revised Standard Version. You shall not steal, you shall not covet. Now look at your scripture. What's missing? Ah, say it out loud. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Apparently, if you use the RSV, you're exempted. You can go tell lies. Because that one's not there. It's missing. How about Amplified. You shall not steal, you shall not covet. What's missing? Good news, you shall not steal, do not desire what belongs to someone else. What's missing? Thou shalt not covet. Shall not bear false witness. Thou shalt not bear false witness. That's the one that's missing. New American Standard. Uh, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Well, it's it's same. It's what's missing is don't don't tell lies. It's it's not prohibiting you from telling lies. New International, same thing. Everyday study, you must not steal. You must not want to take your neighbor's things. What's missing? Thou shalt not bear false witness. So according to these, it's all right to tell lies. It's not covered. Boy, that's a big one. That's missing. Colossians one fourteen. Colossians 1.14. I think this is the last one we're going to look at. There's tons more, but um, this is all we're going to look at here. And I think this is a very important one here. Colossians 1.14. Again, I'm going to ask you to read it out loud with me, please, everyone together. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. RSV. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What's missing? The blood amplified in whom we have redemption because of his sacrifice uh, resulting in the uh, forgiveness of our sins and the cancellation of sins penalty. Phew. That's why they call it the amplified. What's missing? 
The blood. Good news. Now you already know the answer to this one. By whom we are set free, that is to say, our sins are forgiven. What's not there? No blood. New American standard in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. No no blood, right. New International, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. No, no blood. Everyday study, the Son paid for our sins, and in Him we have forgiveness. No blood, no mention of the blood. Boy, I tell you, uh, the modern Bibles are not all that cracked up to be. And people say, oh, but they're so much easier to understand. How much easier is it to understand something that's not there? It's not even there. Yeah, that's easy to understand. But you know, understanding the King James Bible is not that difficult. If you're saved, the Bible can be understood by saved people because we have the Holy Spirit, a built-in Bible teacher. And I'll tell you, even though you understand, you can pronounce all of the, uh, the verbs, uh, worship, worshipeth, worshipped, you know, and the these and the thous, which, by the way, are there for a reason. You, you probably know this. I mention it again, though. If it starts with the letter T, thee, thou, thy, thine, it's singular. It's talking about one. If it's with a letter Y, ye, your, you, it's plural. And you have that beautiful distinction in your King James Bible. You know exactly if... You know, he's talking singular or plural. Maybe I can show you an example of that if you want to quickly go to John 3. John chapter 3. Uh, let's see now. John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Verse 1, you see that? So go down to verse 7. Jesus says, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The thee is singular, meaning Nicodemus. The ye is plural, meaning the house of Israel. Now you wouldn't get that. You wouldn't understand that in a modern Bible. Because all it would say is, I say to you, you must be born again. And you miss the beauty of the precision of the these and the thous. Now, thee and thou are easy ones. There are a few words in the King James Bible that we don't use in normal English today. You might have to look them up in a dictionary. But there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes um, people use words that you're not familiar with. English words you're not familiar with, even though it's everyday English. And you might have to, uh, to run and, and look up some of those words. Uh, let's see, um, judiciary, um, um, fiduciary. Um, let's see, what's another one? Uh, the, they're escaping me. They're running away from me. Some of the uh, English words, maybe you, maybe you know a few of them. You tell me after. But you get the idea. There are words you might have to use a dictionary for, and there's no shame in that. Now, um, we come to this question. What about the New King James Version? At least once a year, I'm asked this question. Pastor, what do you think of the New King James? And my answer is... Um, is pretty much the same that uh, 
There are three main problems with the New King James. Now, if someone wants to use the New King James, that's the, up to them, okay? But I prefer the King James for real, honest-to-goodness reasons. Number one, the precision of the these and thous is gone in the New King James. It's gone. You've lost it. Number two is... Uh, they incorporate Westcott and Hort footnotes at the bottom of the page. Now, that's weird because the New King James says that all it has done, it's updated some of the archaic phrases from the, uh, the old King James and it remains true, true to the old King James. Well, the old King James does not have any of these modern Alexandrian corrupt text Westcott and Hort notes on the bottom of the pages. And you will see them on the bottom of the pages in the New King James. What in the world are those things doing there? Hmm? You know, that's like someone saying, hey, I'm a good Christian, I got a good Christian home. So we walk into your home and we see a Ouija board. We see Playboy magazine. We say, what are these things doing there? And the Westcott and Hort footnotes are the little footnotes that keep saying, the oldest manuscripts don't have this word. The oldest manuscripts don't have this verse. The oldest manuscripts have these different words instead. That's what those little footnotes do. What are they doing in the New King James? And then number three is New King James says different things in certain places. It says different things from the proper King James. I'll show you an example. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians 2.17. Now notice here, the King James says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. What does the word corrupt mean? Hmm? Give me a synonym for corrupt. Hmm? Decay. What is it? Taint. Yeah, you get the idea. Something that's on its way out. Like rotting flesh, maybe. Corruption. The New King James, sorry, says peddling the word of God. If someone's a peddler, what are they doing? They sell things. Usually they sell things on the street corners. They're a peddler or something like that. That's a different word, isn't it, from corrupt? Isn't it? And so if you're in a Bible study with someone, you've got a King James, they've got a new King James, right away you've got a problem if you're studying that verse. Let's look at the next one together. First Thessalonians, just to the right, a few pages. First Thessalonians in chapter 5 and verse 22. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 22. Read it out loud, please. Abstain from all appearance of evil. New King James says, abstain from every form of evil. There's a difference between a form and an appearance. You know, something that you do may not be evil, but it may appear to be evil. And it's the appearance of evil that the Bible's telling us to abstain from even though what you're, what you're doing may not be evil. You know, maybe an example might be uh, you have an unsaved friend you want to witness to 
And now you may disagree with this, but the unsaved friend is, is uh, inside a, a saloon having drinks. Or maybe the unsaved friend is, is in a, a house of prostitution, sitting on a couch waiting. Now, you're not going to go and have drinks. You're not going to go and mess with prostitutes. But you go into that bar or you go into that house of prostitution to try to witness. But someone else watching you, seeing you, hey, there's brother so-and-so going into a house of prostitution. That can have an appearance of evil. If you want to witness to that person, why don't you wait until they come out and then witness to them? Now, that may be a weak illustration, but it get, does help to show there's a difference between what this says, abstain from every form of evil, and abstain from the appearance of evil. One more, and that's in uh, Isaiah 65, back to the Old Testament. Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. 66. It's what happens when you have a birthday. Isaiah 66. Now, here's what the New King James says up here on the board here. Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but they shall be ashamed. But the King James says in Isaiah 66, verse 5, Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word, your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. Now that says two different things. The we is not talking about the Lord, but the he is. He shall appear to your joy. This was Isaiah's promise to the downtrodden people, the Israelites, that at some point in the future, God, their Savior, the Messiah, Christ, is going to appear to their joy, and then the people who persecuted the Jews will be ashamed. That's what the King James is teaching. I don't know what the New King James is trying to say when it says, we may see your joy. I, I don't know what, who they're talking about there. I honestly don't. But I don't have to, because I've got God's Word here. So, what we're saying is this. Folks, you've got a treasure beyond belief. You have a Bible that God has preserved for you. You have the greatest English Bible. Why would you want something else? Why would you settle for second best, third best? Or why would you settle for junk? Why not go for the best? So if you have to go for brain surgery, you sit down with your brain surgeon and you say, tell me, sir... Um, where did you get your education? Where did you go to school? Oh, well, he said, uh, school's for sissies. I, I, didn't go to, I didn't go to brain college. And you say, well, where did you learn your trade, your profession? Well, I've got these comic books here, you see. And uh, they show wonderful, colorful pictures of the brain. Do you want to see them? And you'd say, no, I think I have to go. And you'd go and interview another brain surgeon and find out that they went to the finest of schools and had the finest of books and the finest of teachers and that they worked underneath the finest of brain surgeons for a number of years. Now they're out on their own. That's the man for you. Or the lady. That's the lady for you. 
You get the idea? Why settle for second best, third best, or downright junk when you can have the best? Now that's my take on it. At some point, you have to exercise faith because the just shall live by faith. I do not understand everything there is in the Word of God. But hey, listen, give me a break. I've only had 43 years at it. You know, wait until I've had four or 5,000 years at it. Then I might be a, a little more in the know. Huh? So it's the Word of God, and it's got depths that I don't think any man has yet plumbed. But I'd like to take this thought the next step. Jesus is the best Savior, and beside Him, really, there is no other. Your good works, as nice as they are, cannot compare to God of very God, who in the flesh paid for your sin on the cross. If you're here today, and you have never given your whole heart to Jesus as your Savior, why would you settle for anything less? Why settle for second best? Why settle for third-rate, fourth-rate, or absolute junk when it comes to trusting your eternal soul? Jesus is the best of the best of the best. Beside Him there is no other. If He's not in your heart today, please, oh please, would you repent of your sin and trust Him today? And what about the church? God's meeting house with God's people. It's the greatest family in the world. Oh, there's some good families. But I don't think you'll find a better family than God's family. And God's family meets at the church. How about serving the Lord? There's no finer thing you can do with your life than to serve the Lord. Listen, uh, if God has spoken to your heart about being part of the church, joining the church, or serving the Lord in some way, use that connection card and write me a note and tell me what you're interested in. And I'll get back in touch with you, I promise. There is no reason why we should settle for anything less than the best. Would you stand to your feet for a moment of prayer? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together once more.